Welcome to the Daily Writer Podcast, where we bring you tips and inspiration each day to help you build habits for writing success. For more resources, including your free Daily Writer Starter Kit, visit dailywriterlife.com. People write books for all kinds of reasons. Some people write to teach what they know. Some people write to tell made-up stories. Some people write to promote their businesses, and some people write because they're passionate about a particular topic, just to name a few reasons that people write. Well, on today's episode, I'm really excited to feature a conversation with a friend of mine who's written a book to tell her story of surviving cancer. Her name is Helen Bullen, and we're talking about her fantastic new book called Agnes B. Cancer and Me, Life with a Breast Cancer Diagnosis, a powerful, humorous, kindly blunt, inspirational, and moving true story of strength and resilience. And I've got to say, in my book, that gets the award for the best subtitle of the year. (laughs) Helen is a kindly blunt cheerleader of all small business owners. She's also a retired osteopath and former owner of a successful multi-healthcare bricks and mortar clinic. She runs the HB Club, which is group mentoring, HB Inspired, which is a VIP mastermind, HB Box, which is luxury stationary boxes, and Helen also holds HB Retreats in both the UK and abroad. Helen also has online courses to help as many business owners as she can. Her previous work as a qualified lecturer led her to many senior teaching and examining roles, both in the UK and Europe. Over the years, she's also won multiple awards for both her clinic business and her business acumen. I've got to know Helen over the last couple of years as fellow members of Honorary Quarters Empire Builders Mastermind, so I've got to give my requisite shout out to Honorary here for bringing us all together, well, not just Helen and myself, but a number of other people, about a dozen people or so per year in this really, really cool Empire Builders Mastermind that she runs. So Honorary, thanks so much for all the awesome awesomeness that you provide through that and all the cool people that you bring together. And as I've gotten to know Helen, I can definitely attest that she is a fireball of energy, yet she's also a kind, empathetic, and brave human being. So in this conversation today, Helen and I talk about her new memoir, why she structured it as a diary, her process of writing it, how the book has changed her as a person, and also her tips for authors. I really hope that you grab a copy of this book. It's super well written, and it also has a great cover design, so props to the cover designer. And it's just a really, really inspiring read. So again, I hope that you grab it. You can find it at HelenBullen.com. That's Helen with one L and Bullen with two L's. And of course, there will be a link to her site in the show notes, as well as a link to the book, and you can grab it on Amazon. Here's my conversation with the amazing and inspiring Helen Bullen. Helen, it's so good to have you on the Daily Writer podcast. This is your very first appearance. So welcome. Really, really glad to have you here. Thank you. How exciting. My first appearance. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like back in the old days i don't know if um if you've ever seen the johnny carson show that was super popular back in the you know 70s 80s yeah. early 90s and they made a big deal when comedians would go on the tonight show for the first time that was like a career making appearance on the tonight show and i just want you to know um this is probably not going to be a career making appearance on the daily writer oh, okay. podcast i had so many but, uh, high hopes then i, was I know like, you had your hopes up so I'm, I mean, I don't think it's going to hurt your career, but yeah, I'm going to do my best to make it valuable for you in the audience. <laughs> I'm kind of the ringleader. So if I can help you to have a good time and help the audience to have a good time, then I'm sure uh, I'll have a great I've time. accomplished my goal. 
So we're here to chat about your amazing book, Agnes B. Cancer and Me, which, by the way, is a really, really fun title. I, I love the title. And yeah, you know, not every book has a great title, so well done. No, and and it sort of came up really from me in the book, trying to write about breast cancer and thinking, I've got, do I write boob? Do I write breast? Do I? And I was like, I'm going to name them. I'm going to name them A and B. And then I was like, oh, no, the one that's got cancer is going to be called Agony Agnes. Mm. The other one's going to be called B because she really wasn't my favourite boob in the I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> Who has favourite boobs? And then it sort of just came. And I'm I'm a bit of a person that I will wake up. I don't think I'm particularly creative, but sometimes I wake up with a uh, a sentence in my head, an idea in my head, or a title. The other book was the same and the name of another business. I wake up with it, and that was the case with this. I was like, Agnes B, Cancer and Me. Oh, my God, that's it. Wrote it down in the middle of the night. So yeah. that was how it came about, yeah. So why did you decide to write a book about this whole experience? A lot of people go through cancer or they go through traumatic experiences, health crises, family crises. What was it that made you want to go to the time and effort to write a book about this? When I started, I literally, I'd been, I'd been called back after a mammogram. So let's just get everybody to get their checks done whenever they're offered a check. So I'd had a mammogram, it's just a routine. And I got called back and I didn't think I was going to have anything like cancer told to me. So I sat because I create content all the time and thought, I'm going to write about this. It's interesting how people don't interact in a, in a waiting room and maybe how in business, because I'm a business mentor, can I make this a piece of content? So while I was killing time, I wrote down what I was observing, what I was feeling, and I was a bit irritated. I've been called back, but you know what it's like, and I was writing all that down. So the first sort of hour of me writing wasn't really the cancer book. It was a piece of content. And then I went in, and obviously suddenly I was on this roller coaster. We're going to take biopsies. Yes, you have got cancer. We don't know what type. And it was a bit surreal. And I tried to find some humor in it, but I also needed for myself to write it like a bit like a diary. So I started mm. to annotate it every day. I had a note. I've got many notebooks. I had a stationery book, stationery company. So I've always got notebooks around. I had a notebook and I was writing it. And then I thought, and like you, Ken, I've written another book. You know, you've written many books. I've written one before. And I like Scrivener. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I know where to put this. I'm just going to put it in Scrivener. And it was done sort of like on a daily basis. I didn't do absolutely every day, but to begin with, it's most days. And then it gets lesser as there's less to tell because it becomes a routine of what I'm doing. But I wrote it in Scrivener. And then I thought, well, if I want to turn this into a book, it will happen. And then probably a couple of months in, maybe not even that long, maybe four weeks in, I thought there has to be something that comes out of this. I'm going through this. And I was starting to be aware of people not knowing what to say to me because it was such a shocking news. I'd got stage three, uh, triple negative breast cancer, which is quite an aggressive form of breast cancer. Okay. My chances of surviving even now are 60, 40. So in my favor of it, you know, coming back. But at the time it was quite a serious one. And people were like, oh, you of all people has got it. I had people sort of doing drive pass, throwing candles almost at my door, going, here's a present, and driving off fast. And I just thought, oh, maybe I need to make something of this to help people to know what to say, or it's not wrong to say something. And I've got a good friend, Jackie, who I walked with, and I just thought she handled it really well. She just listened to me. She didn't give me any too many airs and graces. I remember her saying to me one day, 
okay, when your chemo finishes in December and then you have the mastectomy in February, because I knew that was my journey. She said, after that, it's not all about you. But until then, you can whinge, moan, do whatever you like on our walk. (laughs) And I found that quite funny. And she would just listen to me. So the book then came about with, I think I've got advice here. So I wrote it as a sort of diary. And then my podcast happens to be called Kindly Blunt because the people I work with say I'm kind, but I'm straight talking. (laughs) I could use that in the book as little tips. So advice if you're going through chemotherapy, uh, advice if you're looking after somebody going through cancer, advice if you're maybe to go and get checks done. I, I remind people throughout the book to go and get yourself seen if you think there's something that isn't quite as it should be. And and how to speak to people. Maybe don't use those platitudes like, it'll be okay, because you're like, my oncologist doesn't know it's going to be okay, so how do you know that? So, uh, yeah, that's really how it became a book. I suppose I said I wasn't creative earlier. I am creative. I like writing. But if you'd asked me when I was at school, I can't spell, I have appalling grammar, and my sentences are as long and as fast as I speak. Hmm. So... Well, luckily, we both know a very good editor, the lovely Karen. <laughs> yes. She worked with me for that. And I've got better over the time. Um, so I think it always, if it was going to come from, as a book, I probably would. It was half expected that I would make it into a book. I just wanted to put something back out there. If it was going to be such mm. a horrible journey, then I was going to make something out of it. And I, as I wrote it, I didn't know if I was going to survive. So as you read it through the book, the hope it gets better because the chemo starts to work and whatever. And and I also had a background story as well of that I was supposed to be married in 2020. We've been together for 15 years. We chose 2020 when everybody went into lockdown. Mm-hmm. So our wedding got cancelled. I mean, all the years we chose. And then so we nipped in a little wedding in July. We managed to because we still want to be married, but you could only have five people. And I think it was only a gap of about a month that the doors opened for people yeah. to be able to get married. And we said, oh, let's go in our jeans and then we can celebrate next year not knowing that I was going to have a cancer diagnosis. Hmm. So I actually had to wait two years to try and get in the dress that I tried on in 2019, had chemo and steroids so I'd got bigger. I'd lost one boob, so I was a one boob bribe, and getting in the dress on the day. So the book ends when I actually – actually, it ends when I just go on honeymoon, but it ends when I've got into that dress. I've slimmed down a bit. They've created it so that it fits me, and I've now got a pocket for my lip gloss rather than having a boob in there. So, you know, I try (laughs) to throughout and and actually so it worked as quite a natural story from that point of view as well with the cancer sort of in in between so yeah did I answer any of your question then Ken I went off on a whole new tangent no this this is great I mean this is why I do a podcast to have conversations it's just people who are listening they just happen to get to listen in to this basically so and I've said this many times on my show where you know, my podcast is in many ways, it's just, it's a way for me to talk to really smart people and learn things from them. So it's smart. kind of like free coaching in a way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's well, like, I like being called smart. I'm coming on again. <laughs> I get called smart. <laughs> One thing that I'm curious about with, with writing a memoir is when you were writing this, how do you balance the, there are kind of two things that you're trying to accomplish with a memoir. You have the element where it's therapeutic. You're getting your thoughts out. Processes is just helping helping give you a dumping ground for your emotions and your story. At the same time, and of course you know this because we've both been in the Empire Builders Masterclass um, with Anna Recorder, and you know she's uh, very smart when it comes to book publishing and a lot of other things as well. But she teaches in there that you have to think about your reader and what they want from the book and what 
how you're going to help them with it. So as you were writing this, how did you balance those two things between what you want from the book and it being therapeutic, but also what the reader could get out of the book as well? Well, I think when I wrote it, I'm a bit of a believer when I write that I write everything I want to write and then I go back and edit. Yeah. Because I find if I start to think too much about what I'm doing, I stop writing. And I so I quite like to just let it flow. And there was one part of the book that when we got to editing, I think it was the lovely Karen said to me, Helen, you are not angry with the reader. You are angry with chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And I'd obviously been in quite a black place. I was probably on chemo number 14. And so I didn't actually, is what I'm trying to say to you, Ken. I probably didn't write my book like that when I first started. And there was one, I think we needed to lose about 300 words. So it it worked quite well. But for me all the time, I was trying to tell my story, but with a positive slant on it. And you can't always be positive, but also to be really truthful, to really say and educate. I think I felt I was educating people because I am a retired osteopath. I used to lecture pathology. I have to admit, I didn't really realise what happens when you go through chemotherapy. I knew about chemotherapy. I knew what it did to the cells. It, you know, it kills fast growing cells. I hadn't really cottoned on that chemotherapy is just the name for chemicals and everybody has different chemos. Hmm. I hadn't cottoned on that. Yes, it was going to damage all the fast growing cells. And I know it kills your hair and your, your mouth and also the cancer cells. But actually, there's a lot of cells that grow fast All your digestive system. So actually, and that doesn't happen till about day three after the chemo. I think we all tend to assume that it comes on the first day. The first day, actually, it's not nice, but it's not so difficult for most people. Some people have reactions, but most people it's okay. But by day three, it's done its job. It is killed cells. So your body, your blood cells, you know, at one point I got stopped having chemo because all my white blood cells, I was dangerously <clears throat> low on my white blood cells. Excuse me, Ken. Sorry about that. I was dangerously low on my white blood cells. And so I couldn't have it. I couldn't breathe sometimes. I nearly had to have a blood transfusion because it does your red blood cells. And I think that spurred me on to go, when you've got somebody you know is having it, it's not just the day they go for their chemo. It's actually, you know, and I was having weekly chemo. So the week, the whole week was ruined. And by the time I got to feeling better, I was off for another lot. And I just wanted people to know that because I felt that when people were talking to me, they a lot of people rushed around, flowers. I looked like a florist when I first got diagnosed, which was <laughs> lovely for my friends. But then as time goes on, because I'm 16 weeks worth of chemo, in fact, it was over 20 weeks, but 16 weeks worth, people start to come away a little bit because their lives are going on, which they do. And yeah. I wanted people to remember that, you know, actually when you have chemotherapy, it gets harder as you have more. So I wanted to get that message across that actually by your 14th, 15th chemo, you're on your knees. You are, it's doing a job, but you're on your knees. It's not actually that you want to be forgotten. So although there was structure in my writing, there also wasn't. I had a bit of both, but I did edit myself twice before it actually went to the editor. And that was great because I could easily see what didn't need to be in the book and probably from a place of I was off chemotherapy. So in a better mind frame to go, okay, that that works. That's quite funny. Mm. That doesn't need to be in. So I probably did it on the two edits afterwards. But I think I wrote my first book very similarly. So I don't know if that's the right way to write a book, Ken, but it's how I do it. (laughs) You know, I think it depends on the book a lot. Yeah. I think every book is different. And some books, I think you have to dive in and you just – 
you get a draft done as fast as you humanly can because then you have a complete something to work with. Other books are more methodical. Now, for me, with with my the books that I do for ghostwriting clients, those are that's a whole different ball of wax because you're collaborating and you're basing the material many times on interviews and other kinds of stuff. But for my own stuff, I'm a huge fan of just getting something out there, doing a word vomit if you have to. So you at least you have something to work with. And if yeah. you if you just edit the whole time and you're real meticulous, you're never going to get that thing done because you're just going to lose steam. Yeah, and I think sometimes if you edit as you go along, sometimes you'll take things out that actually do fit somewhere in the book. They may not fit exactly. right there, but you may say, or you may even want it for another book. So I've found exactly. that before that I thought this may be too much for here, but I'm going to keep it. And I think sometimes if you're critical, too critical as you go along, for me, it stops me wanting to write because I start to double think like, well, am I going to write yeah. the right thing today? Is this going to be any good? Whereas I quite like to just see what comes out and I'll have a mini edit. So if I've written like I was writing that in a day, about a day, I would scan through and just check what I thought. I might do a little note at the bottom if I thought this may need tweaking something here. So I used to put little notes at the side. But I do, I like, me personally, and I think we all write in different ways, I like to write what's coming out. And sometimes yeah. if I start to really overthink, for me, spelling, if I start to think about spelling or the length of a sentence, then it stalls my writing. It, but if I go back slightly afterwards and just have a little view, and I I quite like to have it read, read to me. So if I can yes. put it through a Word document and it will read to me, I hear it better than I read it. So, yeah, that's, so that's a really, really important writing tip. I think a lot of writers miss that. Yeah. And Microsoft yeah. Word can do it. Your, you know, your yeah. phone can do it. There are other kinds of things you can you can use to read your stuff back to you. But you hear things that you hear corrections that need to happen where you would never pick those up if you're just reading it. No, especially if you've written it as well, because you presume you've read you've written what you want to read. But yes. when you hear it. Yeah, it's great. And I love it. If ever it's in a different um, font, sometimes it speaks in a different accent. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I have done that. So it's like, um, oh, it's gone American. It's gone English. It goes different ways. <laughs> my wife and I, we we kind of joke. She has on her phone, because on an iPhone, you know, you can you can tell what kind of accent you want it to have. We're male or female from different parts of the world. And I think she's got, she has a British male as her siri voice his name is colin oh so you know colin tells us where to go whenever we're driving and i'm always like because i'm usually the one driving i'm like i don't need colin telling me where to go turn uh, it off what's the deal <laughs> i just think it's kind of funny i want to pause here for a second and give a big thanks to today's sponsor vellum now if you've been listening to the podcast for a while you know that about once a week i give a shout out to vellum because they're one of my podcast sponsors in fact they were my very first paid podcast sponsor they signed up way back in December. Since then, I've had a number of other sponsors sign up, but Vellum has always got to hold a special place in my heart, not just because it's awesome software for self-publishers, but also because they were my very first uh, podcast sponsor. So shout out to Vellum for believing in this show and being such amazing partners. Now, you can go back to other episodes and listen to kind of my scripted plug for Vellum, but let me just talk for a second about why I love Vellum. I love Vellum because, and this is not scripted by the way, I really love Vellum because it makes my life a lot easier. I think two or three times just this past week, I was actually working in Vellum with some book formatting stuff, either for myself or some of my clients. Now, little side note here, I don't usually 
format my client's books. So when I ghostwrite a book or co-author a book with somebody, it usually goes to a professional designer for the cover and also for the interior layout of the book. Because I, I for client books, I usually want that little bit of an extra touch that only, only a professional graphic designer can provide that's totally customized to the book cover and special font choices and all those kinds of things. But for the vast majority of things, Vellum is really, really great. And the way that I personally use Vellum is I use it for some of my own books. But something that I also use it for, and you might be surprised to learn this, is that almost every time that I work on a client book, I do kind of a mock-up of what their book formatting is going to look like before it actually goes to, I don't mock up the whole book, but a lot of times I'll mock up like I'll, I'll do a draft of, of the introduction or maybe a chapter or two of the book. And then I will personally format it in Vellum, send it to the client. And I have to tell you, okay, if you do any kind of client work, uh, like ghostwriting or freelance writing, when you take just a couple of extra minutes and you format something in Vellum before sending it to a client. Now, again, it hasn't been edited yet. It's just a draft. But when you format it in Vellum and send it to people, it goes to a whole nother level. I promise you, formatting something in Vellum looks a million times better than sending people an old, boring Microsoft Word document. I mean, how exciting is that? Or, I mean, even a step down from Word is Google Docs. I mean, how many times have we seen Google Docs with that same 12-point aerial font that is literally like eating the blandest vanilla ice cream you can possibly imagine? I mean, Google Docs is great. I'm thankful for it. But let's be honest, it is definitely like the most boring document you've ever seen in your whole entire life. So, I'm probably sounding a little bit dramatic, but that's just how I feel. <laughs> Google Docs is really, really, it wasn't made for book formatting. It was made just for drafting documents. But what I oftentimes do with clients is I will take, uh, again, those drafts, format them in Vellum and send it to them. And I've got to tell you, whenever people see those mock-ups in Vellum, they're really, really wowed because they look like they were professionally done by a publisher. And this is one of the reasons that I love Vellum. It isn't just easier to do stuff for my own books. It also elevates my ghostwriting business. So if you do any kind of client work, I strongly encourage you to get Vellum. And what I'm talking about is just one of the many, many ways that you can use Vellum. I love it. Plus the guys from Vellum are just absolutely amazing. They used to work for Pixar, by the way. So when you use Vellum on your Mac and you wonder, why does Vellum look so great? Why is this such a cool piece of, of software? Why was it designed so eloquently? Well, the reason is that these guys came from a design and storytelling background, and it really, really shows in Vellum. So make sure and check it out. You can go to tryvellum.com slash daily. I love these guys. I love Vellum. It makes my life so much easier, and it helps my business. So check it out. Go to tryvellum.com slash daily. I promise you will not be disappointed. All right. With that said, let's get back to the conversation with my good friend, Helen Bullen. Here we go. Now, I'm curious with... So my my assumption is that a good chunk of people who are listening to this um, probably are going through something difficult, and maybe they've thought about writing a book about whatever they're going through. How how would you encourage them to to just start writing down their emotions and their thoughts or their experiences or their stories, even though it may be very raw and there may be a lot of negative emotions and frustrations and who knows what else? Should they just get started and just kind of do a brain dump of whatever they're going through? Is that is that a way to get started? Writing a memoir yeah. of, of a difficult experience? Yeah, I think so. And sometimes, even if sometimes you're not able to write it at that time, 
for me, writing down, so some days I wasn't well enough to fully write about that day or the day before, but I would write key things down because otherwise you lose it. When you're going through a trauma, you think you're never going to forget all of that trauma. You think you're going to remember everything because it's so awful. You don't, but then you lose bits. And, and when I read my book now, I go, oh God, I forgot. I forgot on that day I felt like that. So wow. for me, I would write down little notes. So I, I don't think I'm going to write a second book, but there was talk I thought I could write. What was I going to call it? I was going to call it Be Me Cancer Free was going to be the next title if I wrote another oh, one. I like and that. so I just thought if I do want to write this, which I don't think I will, but if I do, I had better write some notes of the year after me having cancer mm. because I won't remember back. So uh, only last week I was called in for another check, had to wait two and a half hours. The worry of that. I just noted it down. I thought, well, if I do want to write it, I'll remember that. And that emotion of that gut-wrenching, like, oh, my God, they've just sent me down for for um, for um, they sent me out for an ultrasound. And now they've told me there's a biopsy team on standby. Uh, high alert. I'd gone in just thinking, oh, just a check. I'm worried. I, it came out all clear, but I wrote down about that worry because I don't think I will remember that worry in that same yeah gut-wrenching like oh my I'm sitting here and somebody had just been diagnosed with cancer so I saw that lady come out so I just jotted a few notes down and I think that can be a good way and I think it's finding where you like to write I mean I have I've even got it here a little notebook and I quite often have that it's small enough to go in my bag so I do do it on my notes on my phone but sometimes I just want to write yeah and I would write notes down and think well I may use that I may not I would suggest you have the same book. Don't write it. You know, if you've got lots of notebooks, you lose where you've put it. But I like a little notebook. I use the notes on my phone. And as I said, I like Scrivener. And it sort of depends what mood I'm in. Mm -hmm. um, I prefer Scrivener because I know I haven't got to rewrite it. If I write too many handwritten notes, I've got to type it up. But some days I just want to be sitting in a coffee shop with a pen on a piece of paper because yes. I like a pen on a piece of paper. And so I'll write it down there. And, and I do that not just for books, but I do that if I'm creating content. Because um, you get ideas everywhere, don't you? You, you know, they're all you around. You. Once you start opening up, you're like, oh, that could make some content. So I would just jot down notes. And um, I do wake up in the middle of the night with ideas as well. That's my on my phone. Sometimes I have a notebook, but I just quickly put it on my phone and then I go back to sleep and I yep. save the idea because otherwise it is gone. Somebody told me once, there are so many ideas out there and they all float around. And if you don't grab it, when you get the idea, it just goes off to somebody else. And I've always remembered that. Um, she's a she's a poet. And she said, no, I have to. If I think of a poem or a line, I have to write it down because I know when it goes, it's gone to somebody else. And I may see it one day and it's not mine. I thought, yeah. oh, that's quite a way of thinking about it. Yeah. I like it's that. a fun way to think about ideas. Yeah. And I think yeah. it also, that way of thinking about ideas, it also reminds us that Ideas come from, they come from somewhere. I mean, obviously they come from our brains somewhere deep in our brains, I guess. But there is kind of a sense in which when you're in a creative flow, you're kind of channeling some type of energy rather than feeling like you have to come up with something or yeah. whatever. It's it's kind of like, no, you just need to open yourself up to the flow of what's being given to you, of what's being entrusted to you rather than you having to manufacture everything from scratch. I find that a really comforting idea about creativity and writing. 
And and it's much more comfortable when it feels like that. If you've got to write something, it it just doesn't work for me. And I have ways of doing that. So I'll put music on that I like. Or in the morning, I'm I'm an early riser. I come down early rise. But I put a podcast on. Sometimes it's you, Kent, in the morning. I'm unloading my dishwasher. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. But I change which ones I'm listening to. And I see what I get out of it. And sometimes, I don't know if you do this, but you listen to a podcast or a book being read and there's one key point that just somehow you go, oh, that's, that's an idea for doing something. And then right. it takes you down another route. And I find in the morning, I'm not really very awake when I get up. I like getting up early. I unload the dishwasher. My husband thinks we have a dishwasher fairy. It just empties. <laughs> we have the same problem in my house, except I'm the one who thinks there's a fairy. Yeah, exactly. But I don't mind because it's sort of my task that I can listen. You know, it's quite robotic. I know where everything goes. I do it all. But nine times out of 10, I will pick something out of it and think, that's a great, I can go that direction with it. So Mm. that's how I, and I think keeping your head in a good place is good as well. I know what music, you know, I can't listen to really fast music when I'm writing because I'm fast already. Right. I like acoustic hits, so I'll have that on and that does it for me. I like being in a coffee shop with a hubbub going on, not loud noise, but just people talking, getting on with their daily life. I can write really great stuff when I'm in a coffee shop. Hmm. So, but if you ask me to write something by about three o'clock in the afternoon, you're not going to get much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done. Yeah. I should send you this playlist that I, that I use a lot when I'm writing. So I'm a child of the 1980s. You are too. And before that, but yes, I was. (laughs) Yes. But I mean, you know, we, we kind of came of age, you know, in the eighties and that the, the period around there. And, um, I love all the eighties music. I drive my son nuts with it, but there, yeah. I didn't realize it until a couple of years ago. There's this whole group of artists out there who make music that sounds like it was made in the eighties with the synthesizers and all the stuff. And a lot of it is instrumental. And so I've got this long playlist of, it sounds like stuff that's from the eighties with really no vocals in it, but it's just instrumentally something that feels very, it's like mental comfort food almost. And is that what you write to? Do you find that? A lot of times. That- yeah. 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 It's just finding, isn't it, what it does for you. I, I had another friend and she liked rock. And I thought, oh, I could never write with rock, but she can. It's her thing. I think we all have different things that inspire us. It's just finding it. It is. And I think you can like a variety of things. I mean, there's there's really no genre of music that I really, really hate. I mean, I even like opera yeah. um, and classical all the way down to Heavy, heavy metal and rap and country. I really like it all. So maybe yeah. I'm just weird that way. I don't no, know. I think I, for me, I'm I'm even weirder, I think, because some days I can put music on that I could write on two days ago. And I put the music on, I think, oh, no, that's not right today. Yeah. Not right. Not right. Not for me. But I don't do silence very well. So I like, <laughs> even if it's the washing machine going on, I like some little bit of noise. I don't know what it is. Otherwise, I can hear myself, I think, thinking. <laughs> I think that's what's nice about going to a coffee shop is you yeah. have kind of murmuring around you, but it's not really loud, hopefully. And normally, you know, you can get quite a cool coffee shop. And I like it if the coffee's good. That's always a good start. I've yes. got one to me and it's got nice coffee. And it has some plants in the middle and it's a bit funky and the seating's nice. That's what my husband's like. Well, why would you go there? Why don't you take take Why do you sit in the lounge and have a coffee? And I'm like. No, 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 you don't get it. This is my this is my place that I like to sit and be at. Yeah. And 
Yeah, and it took me a while to realise that was an inspirational place for me. I didn't really realise there was such mm. places when I started, but now I have learned where to go. Expensive hobby with my coffees, but anyway. Yeah, and the coffee is almost beside the point. You know, if the coffee's good, that's that's a bonus. Yeah. But even if the coffee's just okay, I mean, it's really more about the atmosphere and the environment, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if I stay long enough, I can have brunch and I can have another coffee. So, yeah, it works well. I've never been chucked out of a coffee shop, but I'm sure they've wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, um, can you talk at all about any habits that you have in your life for writing or creativity or anything that really helps you get your creative creative work done? Any routines or specific habits that you use? Yeah, I have. Um, well, I suppose I have principles that I work behind in my business. And my first book's about those principles. And when I work with business people, I talk about them. Not that they're anything new, but I also always think if you're going to be effective in what you do, you need everything. So I have care of myself. So I always try and exercise most days, even if it's just 10 minutes out the door, try and hydrate, try and eat well, as well as I can. I try to really know why I'm doing what I'm doing. If I haven't got a strong enough why, and it used to be, my why used to be sometimes for, to put a roof over my head, you know, and I was paying a mortgage and I got young kids. It doesn't have to be quite that now, but it's normally that I want to go traveling or this book is going to make a difference to people. There has to be a strong why. So I like to work that out. I also like to um, work on any limiting beliefs. I think you have to believe in yourself and doing it. And I'm not saying I believe in myself all the time because I think we all have those voices that go, really, you think you can do this? But I do try and work on my mindset. And I'm pretty good at being pretty positive. And then I may have a drop and I think, hang on a minute. Of course you can do what you want to do. Or because you see somebody else doing it and you don't, you know, you suddenly start to think, oh, they can do it. I don't know if I can do it, all that sort of stuff. So I definitely work hard on that. And I like to do affirmations and I like to do journaling. I don't do it every day, but I tend to do it when I've dropped off that feeling good about myself. Um, and then I like to understand what I'm doing. And I, when I'm working with business owners, I always say to them, look, we need to learn the tech. There is a point that you have to learn the basics. A bit like having a book, isn't it? You can write the book, but you sort of have to know how to get an editor, how to put it on the Kindle, how to get it on Amazon all those things. I said that like I do that. I actually have somebody that I pay to do that for me. So I feel a little bit of a fraud, but I know I've got to instigate that. So I have to understand how. And then I really believe in taking effective action. I'm not, I'm not into people being busy, being busy, you know, and you run around and you feel like you've done loads. And actually, when you look, you've just ticked off two things on your to-do list that really didn't need doing, but you thought you liked to do it. So I'm all about sitting your butt down 10 minutes. I, I, I quite like if I if I want to do something and writing, not so much because I tend to find it easier to write, but I will sit down and think, right, put the timer on for 10 minutes, all distractions off. I'm only focusing on one thing and I will do that one thing. And there's Parkinson's law, isn't there, where you spread yourself into the time you're given. So the less time mm-hmm. you give yourself, the quicker you'll get things done. And I think we've all had things that we need to do and we've had maybe a month to do it. And two hours before it's got the deadlines in, we are trying to do it. And it's <laughs> yeah, a stress. But you, yeah, but you get it done, don't you? You get it done because it has to be done. But actually, you probably could have done it in the first two hours of when you knew, that, that, um, yeah. you know, at the beginning of the month and not had the stress. So I'm all about sort of 10 minute tasks. As to my writing, I like writing early in the morning. I think it's finding when you're creative and I'm creative early on. 
I don't have any, I don't look at my social media particularly. I don't look at my emails. I, and I used, when I wrote my first book, I had a bricks and mortar business as well as doing the mentoring. And if I went into work, well, there was staff needing me. There was people that worked for me needing me. There was no way I could be creative in that situation. So if I do it in the morning, nothing really has happened. The end of the day, I can be a bit miserable or I can be a bit grumpy or I can be tired because whatever's gone on or there's an email still in my head. But first thing in the morning, I tend to be pretty clear headed and I enjoy that time. It's like secret time. Mm -hmm. So everybody, I mean, everybody in my house, I, my kids have left home now, but it used to be that people would start getting up about quarter past seven. And if I got about half past five, five o'clock past five, I'd have all that time like to myself just to sit and be creative. And then I would just sit and think, just write what you want to write. Open a page on Scrivener and write. And I would always do a plan for a book. I do do a plan for a book. Probably this one was a little bit different, but my first book, that was structured. It was all around my principles. So I knew what was going to be in each chapter. And I'm a real lover of, of these things, post-it notes. I Me like too. to brain dump, brain dump my ideas, everything I think that could go in a book. Then I stick them on the wall and then I move them around, right? That could be in that chapter. That could be in that chapter. That maybe doesn't need to be in the book or it could be in another book. So I normally have a structure. And when I did the first book, I had a card index and I put all the chapters on cards. Each subject is going to write about. So if I got up and I felt I didn't write, want to write something for chapter one, I had them all elastic back. I could go to chapter two and pick a subject out of that and I could write it. And that for me worked quite well. The only trouble was when I got to the end, I had about four subjects that I had to write on to finish the book. And I was like, I don't want to write on that. <laughs> But I did manage it. But that's how. So I do believe in structure. I, but I think if you're writing a journey, you that is your structure. Each day is your structure. So you can write my second book. My first book was more of an information. I need to give you all this information. I need to order it before I start writing yeah. it. Type. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's sort of my tip. I say find when you're creative and try early mornings if you've never done it. I always think. You might not like it, but give it a go. Give it 10 days. See how you go with it, um, especially if you're very tired in the evening or you're doing it as a side hustle. It's very hard to be creative when you've had a busy day doing something yes. else or your family want you when you come home. The early morning actually is extra time. You know, whereas if you go late into the night, you tend to keep going. At least in the morning, people start to get up. So you have to stop. Yeah, and you can still be going at two in the morning if you're creative, and then you've got to get up at seven, eight, and go to work. Doesn't always yeah. work for everybody. So yeah, I don't like to say you have to be in the morning, but I always say there are some advantages. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. <clears throat> I really, really do, because it's it's hard to it's hard to have an ending point in the evening. You know, if if you decide you're just going to be a night owl, you could work till one, two, three in the morning. Yeah. And then you might start to really feel it maybe three or four in the morning if you do, are doing that consistently. But the, the problem is that your quality of sleep, you know, the later you stayed up, the the later you stay up, the quality of your sleep declines. Yeah. So if you go to bed at 10 and get up at six, that's a better quality of sleep generally than if you go to bed at two and get up at eight or something. Yeah. Or yeah. Do, do I have my math right? If you go to bed at two and get up at 10 or whatever it is. General, yeah, and most so. people don't have the luxury of being able to stay in bed till 10. That is the problem. Yeah. You yeah. know, you've got to go to work. You've got to get back on the treadmill of what you're doing, and then it gets a bit messy. <laughs> then it gets and the reality is if you time. get up at 10, you're probably just going to mess around until 12 or 1 when you have lunch. 
So really, you're not going to do anything substantive until one or two in the afternoon, probably. Yeah, basically, you're starting to work a night shift, aren't you? If you're yeah, working like you that, really you are. are working a night shift. You know, you really are. and we all know that they're not that good for our card. card how, do <laughs> yeah. it's how do you say it? The rhythms that you have. Yeah, you're a... I can't say it. Circadian rhythm, is that it? That's the one. I also have problems with words, which is very funny, because if I do lives and things, everybody knows. I always have to go, how do you say that? So, yeah. (laughs) If you ever put off about writing a book because you think you can't spell or grammar or say words, I've written two. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) That's what editors are for, also. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as we we kind of go into the home stretch of this conversation, I'm curious if you can talk about... Helen, how this book has changed you or helped your business in any way? Yeah, um, whether it's helped my business, it's not not really. Um, I'm a business mentor, and my book that I was writing for got cancer is another book that's going to come out, which is a business book that will help it more. But at the back of my book, I do have about my course and I have about my social media. What I did find is I have a lot of people that follow my business that have supported the book, so it's sort of done the other way. There is one funny thing it might have done for my business, which is going to sound weird. So I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn for my business. I have gone on to TikTok for my book. Oh my goodness, it's another world. But I thought, I think there's there's a thing called BookTok, hashtag mm-hmm. BookTok, and they're a bookworm and book club and bookish and all that. Well, one of the first videos I put out, which was a video of my pictures of me going through my cancer journey and saying my book was coming. I think I've got 615,000 people have viewed it. And wow. yeah, I've got an immense number of likes on it, 31,000 likes or something, just ridiculous. Now, now what I'm doing most days is I go in and I read a bit of my book. Now, I might not have thousands. I probably have hundreds watch it. But I've had people telling me, I've bought your book today. I've got up wow. to 1,000 followers so I can have my link. So for me, maybe it's um it's been good learning. I didn't really want to do TikTok. I don't really... Not that happy that China's running it. I hope they're not listening to this because I'll get you know, taken off somewhere. But I just thought, I think I can market my book there. I think there's a place for it. And there are a lot of people with triple negative breast cancer and breast cancer on there that I'm following that I find quite informative as well. But yeah, it's been just different platform for me to use. I've been doing it on all the platforms, but solely my book is on TikTok. It's me. So if anybody's on TikTok, Helen Bullen UK, come and help me out. Come and find me. But um, yeah, it's different. So yes, I suppose that's uh, it's done it that way. And it's just made me know that now I've written two books, I want to write five, you know. I think that's what it's done for me is I am starting to call myself an author. Hmm. I've even written lots of my bios as the first thing. I come as author, business mentor. And for it. years, you know, my career, I was an osteopath. I was a trained doctor. I retired early. That's what I define myself as. Now I'm like, oh, maybe I'm defining myself as an author. So yeah, and I That's think a good thing. it is a good thing. And people in my membership group now are starting to say to me, I quite like to write a book. So I hope I'm motivating people that, you know, they, they just think if she can do it, I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, Helen, where can people find your book? Obviously, it's on Amazon and all the places, but if they want to find out more about you directly, where can they go to do that? Uh, well, all my social media is Helen Bullen UK. There's one L in Helen and there's two in Bullen. Helen Bullen UK, or you can find me at www.helenbullen.com. Basically, if you put my name into Google, it comes up. There aren't many Helen Bullens. <laughs> Helenbullen.com, you stick it in, and I will be like that, probably with long hair in some of the pictures as well. You can see the before and after. Um, 
But yeah, but mostly I am active on Facebook and Instagram and that's Helen Bullen UK. And I, I love having new followers and chatting to people. So I'd love to catch up with people there. Wonderful. Well, Helen, thanks so much for your friendship, for your book and for taking the time to be a guest today on the show. This has been fantastic. I appreciate you so much and sharing your journey in the book. I know this was not an easy book to write. It was not an easy book to go through the experience that gave you the material for the book, essentially. But wow, what an incredible story. And I'm so glad that you're that you're around. Yeah, me too. Living life to the full, I tell you. Everybody needs to live life to the full. You never know what's going to happen. Live life starting now. That's true. Wow. Well, thank you again. This has been amazing. Oh, it's a pleasure. Hey, wasn't that a fun conversation with Helen? She is a ball of energy and she is just such a fun person, but also really, really, I guess as we say, and I don't know if this is an American thing or maybe even it's just a Missouri thing, but I know around these parts, when we want to compliment somebody uh, in their intelligence, we will call them whip smart. And I would describe Helen as whip smart. And I mean that as an absolute compliment. Helen, as you can see, is not just a really... uh she has a great sense of humor. She's also a phenomenal writer, a great business leader, and just a really, really inspiring person. So make sure and grab her book. You can check it out on Amazon. There's a link in the show notes. And also make sure and go to her website, HelenBullen.com. That's Helen with one L, Bullen with two L's. She's got a lot of cool things there for small business owners. So make sure and check it out. And as always, my good friend, thanks for listening. I do not take your time and attention for granted. Hope you have a great rest of the week, and I'll see you on the flip side.